but I asked. Yeah. Um, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us today on, on a very, very hot summer afternoon and on short notice. I'm sure you're as excited as I am to hear the results of this poll that's taken place. Um, here at the Africa Center, we, uh, we focus on the entire continent of Africa, but Nigeria is a country that holds a special fascination. Uh, and we are absolutely delighted to be partnering with the International Republican Institute today. IRI's polling is, is really extraordinary. I think it's the pinnacle of the industry in Africa. I'm delighted to have an opportunity to hear what they have to say at this time when Nigeria is very much in the news um, for all the wrong reasons unfortunately. Uh, so without very much more further ado, um, I would like to introduce Robert Carpenter, who is a consultant who conducted this very ambitious poll in Nigeria. It was 8,000 people, am I correct? 7,900 people uh, in five different languages, which is an extraordinary accomplishment, um, and throughout some difficulty security situations as well. Um, Sentel Barnes, who is the country director for Nigeria at the International Republican <coughs> Institute. Um, Santel, where are you based? Uh, in Abuja. In Abuja, OK. Um, and then, of course, John Tomaszewski, uh, better known as JT, may I? Uh, who is uh, newly anointed as the director for Africa at the International Republican Institute. Um, our run of show today is to have them present the findings of their poll, and then we'll conduct a, a dialogue um, so that we can answer any questions that you have about uh, what they turned up. Well, thank you very much for, for being here and allowing us the opportunity to share these, these uh, results with you. The poll was conducted by phone in, uh, as was mentioned, in five languages across the country um, from April 18th to May 6th of this year. Excuse me, 7,900 interviews were done, which uh, results in a margin of error of plus or minus 1.2% for the entire survey. And I'll talk a little bit about some subgroups, which um, the margin of error would be slightly higher. Um, at the beginning, gender, uh, excuse me, geographic quotas were assigned, so we were ensured uh, that it was representative of the country overall. And then at the back end, we weighted the data both to uh, geography and gender to make sure that it represented the, um, the most recent um, census done in the country in terms of both uh, gender and geography. So getting into the results, um, question that, that we pollsters like to ask is um, the right direction, wrong direction question. And when we ask the question, do you believe Nigeria is moving in the right direction or the wrong direction, we found that 54% uh, said right direction compared to 37% that said wrong direction. The intensity of strongly right direction at 27 and the intensity of strongly wrong direction at 27 were equal. But the, um, the not strongly right direction, 27, really boosted that up. So 54 to 37, <clears throat> which compares to an IRI survey that was done in November of 2011, which showed 39% right direction, 56% wrong direction. So there's been a, a, almost a complete reversal. Um, in December of 2010, those numbers were 41 right direction, 55 wrong direction. So again, we've seen a, a uh, complete shift from a, a majority wrong direction to a majority right direction. There are, however, if, if you look at uh, what is slide four in the packet, some clear differences by region. The south, 38% right direction, 49% wrong direction. The south is made up of, of um, states in the southern tier. Compared to the north, which is 68 
right direction, 25, wrong direction. So clear, clear differences between the north and the south in terms of the direction the country is going. When we asked about the, um, which issue was most important uh, at this point in time facing the citizens, unemployment came out at to on top at 26, compared to state of the economy at 19, government corruption at 15, fuel scarcity at 14, and then security at 13. And again, that compares to the November 2011 survey where unemployment was 20 and government corruption was 19. And we'll see um, later on in the results why that government corruption number has declined slightly. Um, the unemployment is something that, that I've seen in surveys that I've done for IRI around the globe as the most important um, issue in many, many different countries. If you look at the 26% unemployment number, the 19% state of the economy number and the 14% fuel scarcity number, they total 59%. So 59% of the respondents gave some sort of economic response to this particular question. The outlier in the survey is, is the next question we asked, slide six, would you say that your own personal economic situation has improved over the past year, stayed the same, or gotten worse? With a majority, 57% saying that it's gotten worse. So while people have, are, are feeling that the country is moving in the right direction, um, and their, um, their own personal economic situation has not quite caught up with that yet. So things in the country overall are going well, but personally, there, there still is um, some uh, concern. Um, has the condition of democracy changed since the 2015 election? And if yes, has it changed for the better or changed for the worse? And as you can see, 46%, a near majority believe that yes, it's changed, and yes, it's changed for the better. Again, the condition of democracy in, in uh, Nigeria. Change for the worse at 29%. Uh, no, it remains unchanged at 21%. So a near majority believe that the, situated, the condition of democracy has Im, uh, improved. If you could have one or the other, um, democracy or prosperity, looking at slide eight, you can see again the intensity, 54% a majority believe that democracy is definitely more important to them personally compared to 31% who say prosperity is definitely more important. And 5% uh, democracy is somewhat more important. 6% democracy is, excuse me, prosperity is somewhat more important. 5937 overall are saying that democracy is, de is more important um, than prosperity. Um, we have it included here, but, it, but when you look at the income breaks for this particular question, it's no surprise that those with, that, um, that have the least believe that prosperity is more important. Those that have the most say that democracy is more important. As I mentioned earlier when I talked about the decline in the corruption number, slide nine, thinking about corruption, would you say the level of corruption has increased from a year ago, stayed the same, or decreased? 53% of majority are saying that it has decreased versus 27% that it has increased. So by a two to one margin, Nigerians believe that, that uh, corruption has decreased in the country in the last year. We asked a couple of questions which are standard IRI questions across the globe. The first being, if there were two candidates running for office and they had the same qualifications, aside from the fact that one is a man and one is a woman, which candidate would you be more likely to support? 36% said the male candidate, 25% the female candidate, and 37% makes no difference to them personally, which are numbers that are pretty much in line with what we see around the globe.
Um, do you agree or disagree with the following statement? Po uh, politicians do not listen to the needs and ideas of women. 58% agreed with that statement. And again, it's politicians do not listen. So we're asking for, do you agree that politicians don't listen? 58% uh, said that politicians don't listen to the needs and ideas of women. 35% disagreed with that statement. The same exact numbers for young people. 58% uh, agreed that politicians don't listen to the needs and ideas of young people. 35% agreed with that statement. It's interesting that those numbers were exactly the same, 58-35 for both of those. That's not something that I've seen in other, other countries of the world. And uh, when we did the first round of the slide deck, um, the IRI uh, folks came back to me several different times saying, please check those numbers because it's odd that they were the same. Um, but they were. Um, and then finally, how safe do you feel in your community? And we named the community that they were in. Do you feel very safe, fairly safe, not very safe, or not safe at all? 57% very safe, 24% fairly safe for a total of 81% who feel safe in their community, compared to 11% not very safe and 20% not safe at all, or excuse me, 9% for a total of 20% who don't feel safe. So we see that throughout the survey, the mood of the country is good. People believe that it's going in the right direction. Personally, their economic situation is not quite up, caught up with that yet, but they feel safe in their community. They feel democracy has improved, and they feel corruption has declined. So overall, people are feeling pretty good about the way things are going. Ni uh, Nigerians are feeling pretty good about the way things are going in Nigeria. Just real briefly in terms of the demographics, 51% of the sample was male, 49% female, 55% under 35, 39% um, between 36 and 60. Uh, you can see the political zone breaks there. And then in terms of the monthly household income, 15% unable to meet basic needs without charity, 56% able to meet basic needs, 23% able to meet basic needs with some non-essential goods, and 5% plenty of disposable income, or um, they, excuse me, 2% able to purchase most non-essential, um, less than 1%, plenty of disposable income, and then 4% indicated they didn't know or uh, they refused to answer. So again, we see that Nigerians are, I didn't say Nigerians, right? In the last presentation I did in, when we were in Nigeria a couple weeks ago, I kept wanting to say Nicaragua. And it, I said Nicaraguans at one point, so I always want to check to make sure I'm talking about <laughs> These are Nigerian numbers, and, and I am talking about Nigerians' um, point of view. So again, overall, Nigerians are, are in a pretty good mood in terms of the, the mood of the country. Democracy is improving, corruption and, uh, is declining, and they feel safe in their community. Thank you very much. Um, it's uh, nice to be back in D.C., and it's nice that you have uh, turned your weather to uh, make me think I'm back in Abuja. Um, it's, uh, so as, as Bob was saying, uh, we conducted this survey back uh, at the end of uh, April uh, and the 1st of May, and we got some very interesting findings, and, and it's, presented, it's presented some interesting looks, because I think what you see reported sometimes outside of Nigeria is sometimes different than what is happening inside Nigeria. And I like to describe Nigeria as a house. When you see it from the outside, maybe it looks like it's falling in. But when you see it from the inside, you can see 
that there are things in place where the country is kind of uh, is, is presenting itself from collapsing or uh, going off the edge, as, as people like to say. So it's been very interesting. I think one of the slides that caught a lot of attention uh, is on the issue of security, on the issue of whether you feel safe uh, in your own community. And what we've noticed is that the government has been uh, focused on dealing with the Boko Haram threat. Um, and so you see that there's been a less number of attacks. There's still attacks going on in Maduguri, um, and you still see the ramifications from that. But in the case of, uh, you know, people looking at their, their community, uh, they feel safer, uh, you know, but we didn't ask the question on, you know, how do you feel about the, say, the security of Nigeria, then maybe you would have got a different response or a different answer. Uh, the other thing, too, uh, if you look at Nigeria like a balloon, you know, you squeeze one in, you squeeze in Boko Haram. Now there's other issues. Uh, you have issues in the in the south dealing with the Niger Delta. You also have issues now dealing with the uh, the cattle herders who are traveling around. Um, and uh, as you as you look at Nigeria and you look at all the issues, a lot of it is is connected in some ways to corruption. Um, you look at the fact that. Um, for years, uh, the militants in the in the Delta were kind of paid off. They were kind of giving various positions and, and those things to kind of move away from their activities. Those things now have stopped. Some of them are under investigation by the EFCC. So now you're starting to see an increase in, um, in attacks again, which are now having an effect on the economy. So you're now starting to see where Nigeria is no longer the top producer of oil on the continent. It's now number two behind Angola. Um, and it's starting to have a significant effect on the bottom line in Nigeria. So, um, you know, the, the, the amount of barrels being produced today are not enough to, to cover the budget of the country. Um, and also, I find corruption to be a very interesting issue in Nigeria because you have, as we look at the larger corruption, the, the large ticket items of corruption, but then there's the, 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 the corruption that exists at the bottom level that sometimes people don't notice. And it, it, it really kind of feeds through... Um, almost everyday life. And I, I tell this story uh, all the time, but I, I went away from my Christmas holiday. I came back. I asked my staff, how was their Christmas? They said, well, it was okay, but there was no money. And so I was like, well, I'm sure I paid salaries before I left, so I don't know why you're saying there's no money. And, but when you, when you have the discussion with them, the money that exists in the system from corruption doesn't exist anymore. So the sharing of money that people were sharing doesn't exist in the system anymore. So people, you know, people who who may not even be taking the money are now benefiting even though they don't know where they're benefiting from the money. So corruption is a very, uh, you know, it's the elephant in the room because I also think if you look at uh, Bahari as he's been laser focused on this issue, you know, the question that comes what is what happens when Bahari is no longer president? You know, who's the next person that comes in behind him? Would they be as layers of focus on corruption or would they go back to old practices? So that's been very interesting as we've been watching it uh, in Nigeria. And for us, you know, we work a lot with the political parties. Our, uh, our, our, uh, our grant there uh, is political party development. So we work a lot with the political parties. Um, and so we are in a lot of these conversations and a lot of these meetings uh, with, mem with members and leaders of political parties. I think um, another area, too, uh, on the security is also the kind of the, the I guess, the, the Biafra movement that has kind of taken on center stage also in the South. And if you look at, if you look at Bahari again, 
you know, he made a statement when he became president and he said, I will put the right people in the right positions. You know, and Nigeria has a provision in a constitution that says that there has to be represent, a representative from each state uh, who serves in the, on, in the ministry. So, you know, it's, it's to provide geographic representation in the government. But if you look at a lot of uh, people who Bahari has appointed, uh, they, they typically are people who he's been associated with, or maybe they're people he's worked with in the North, and so forth and so on. And so there's been this cry from the South that they're not being represented, uh, their issues are not being, uh, you know, carried along by the president, as they say. So uh, there's been this um, division that it shows in our, our uh, poll. If you look at, if you break it down by region, if you break it down by state, you will see that people in the south-south and the southeast uh, typically have the opposing view of the people in the north. Um, and when we look at the north, we, we take the northeast, the northwest, and the north central and all put them together. So you, you see this breakdown that exists. Um, and I think for Bahari, um, many people who were excited for his election are now starting to uh, grumble a bit about the fact that he is not as focused on the economy as he's a focus on corruption. And I think, uh, to keep going back to corruption, I, I think, again, corruption is the elephant in the room. You know, the, the opposition party, you know, has been very adamant that the president is using this as a witch hunt to go after uh, people of the opposition. He is, you know, they keep saying that he is targeting uh, particular individuals and so forth and so on when he's not targeting people in his own party. And I think from what I've seen as, you know, if, as you watch this is that, you know, Bahari is not a very political individual. He, he's, he, he's not playing the political game. He's not going out, you know, making the speeches that politicians make, you know. And I think you, you see that in, in the way that maybe his concern for the visions that, that the South and the, the South South and the Southeast are having, he's not as overtly concerned about them. Um, because I don't think he's playing that political game that you typically play when you're a politician and you get elected. So it's been very interesting to watch uh, this. And uh, again, our survey has shown a lot of these divisions, have shown um, the area of security. And I think the, the last place I, I also mentioned is the whole issue of democracy. Uh, there's a question in the poll that says, would you prefer democracy over economic prosperity? Um, and it's very interesting to see that the, the majority of people said democracy over economic prosperity. Now, even at a time when their economic situation is very difficult in the country, the price of fuel has increased, the price of goods has increased, everything that we were used to being you know, really cheap is, is, uh, is uh, really expensive. I mean, rice, a staple, Tomatoes, a staple, are really expensive in Nigeria. Um, so when you look at that, people still would choose democracy. And when I was talking to some of my colleagues and some of my uh, Nigerian partners, and I, we, I asked this question, what do they think? You know, they, they, they gave me two, two examples. Number one, um, they said that you can look at two benchmarks that have happened in Nigeria's democracy. Number one, in 2007, there was a peaceful transition of power between one president to the next. Um, and then in 2015, there was a peaceful transition between one party to the next. So democracy has, has shown that it has legs, shown that it has the ability to transform in Nigeria. Uh, the, second, the second area they talk about is that for many years, the military regime talked about how civilian governments were corrupt, 
You didn't really want a civilian government. And what people have come to realize is that the military government was just as corrupt or even more corrupt uh, as civilian governments ha have been. So there's really this trust, there's really this belief that democracy brings economic prosperity. Uh, and again, the, one, the other thing I've learned that live in Nigeria, Nigerians are very optimistic. You know, their dark clouds come, it's about to rain, there's thunder, and you say, is it gonna rain? They say, no, no, it won't rain. Um, so they're very optimistic even in the midst of, uh, even in the midst of dark clouds, so. Uh, uh, hello, uh, maybe I'll just give you a quick overview of how we plan to use this data. Uh, Sintel mentioned uh, the International Republican Institute uh, works with political parties in Nigeria. We've, we've worked in Nigeria since 1998. Um, we've observed a lot of elections there. We've engaged uh, political parties at all levels. Uh, when APC was formed, we literally helped them develop their structures. And now that PDP is a mess, we're literally helping them reorganize themselves. And uh, we've been up and down and through this road before. Um, the, re the reception of this data by the political parties, and we held a press conference which was well received by sort of the general media, but when we sat with political parties, I, there, there's still a challenge for us in our work. Um, as, as you know, is not just a challenge in Nigeria, but in a lot of places uh, where IRI works around the world, is, is getting political leaders, political parties to run election campaigns based on issues. Uh, to engage in issue debates, to talk about policy, and not just focus on the politics of the personality, the politics of the moment, the scandal of the moment. Um, and of course, when you present them with such data, especially the PDP folks, when they saw 54% uh, country running in the right direction, they jumped out of their seat and started yelling. When they saw the security number, people feel safe, they said, your data must be flawed, it, it, has, to be, it has to be wrong. Um, of course, when we took the information over to APC, the APC folks, we sat with the North Regional Chairman, the Southern Regional Chairman, um, and, and they sort of said, yeah, yeah, we, we, we know this, this, this information, but it's unclear uh, for them what they're going to do with it. So what IRI really wants to do with this, which we've done with other research, is to, is to try to work with the parties. Um, we've got two by-elections coming up, right, in October. We've got uh, Edo State, right, and Ando State in December. Um, so we'll be working with the parties as they develop their campaigns. We know in some ways in Edo State the campaign's already begun, but uh, working with the parties as they go out and do their campaigning and talk about issues. And uh, we know PDP's in a bit of a mess right now. They basically had three different candidate primaries for Edo State. So IRI is working with them to sort of sort that out, and, uh, and we look forward to that. And we'll, we'll, you know, I was talking with Santel and Bob when we were in Abuja, that what we really need to do is to do some focus groups because we've been able to collect 36 state data. Um, of course, weighted quite well on senatorial district. Um, another thing that the parties complained about was that it was a telephone poll and not a face-to-face. -face. Um, we can have Bob maybe speak to that because um, uh, Nigeria has quite a high telephonic rate. In fact, uh, about 100 million people, I think the number was. Um, and the polls to reuse, NOI polls, has a database, I think, 50 million? 70, 70 million. So we actually had a pretty good spread. Um, in only one or two states did we really have issues in terms of getting calls. So uh, we feel very good about this data. Um, it's, it, it, of course, it's better to have a poll done over uh, several weeks, several months uh, to have trends and look at those trends and 
use them to show the parties how things go up and down. Um, so we hope to do more of that. We hope to do some focus groups um, so that we can communicate better with the parties and, and get them more engaged. Uh, so yeah. Um, we'll turn this over to your questions in a moment, but I'm going to exercise the moderator's prerogative here, and I have to say, um, I'm not surprised they thought the numbers were wrong. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, it's it's really shocking. Um, and it, there's so much that's shocking that I'm sure that others will, will draw out as well, but the idea that 80% of Nigerians feel safe is stunning, because I, I think if you did a poll in the United States, you wouldn't get 80% of people saying that they feel safe in their neighborhoods. Um, so it, it goes to show um, difference of perception, to say the least. Um, so, but my, my question for you is this: I mean, obviously, um, Nigeria is very much in the news. There's a lot of a lot of stories about how it's going in the wrong direction um, because of the government's inability to tamp down, move to the next level in the fight against Boko Haram, the resurgence of conflict in the Delta, the new, well not new, but escalating threats from the herdsmen in central Nigeria. You have the plummeting value of oil and other natural resources, which means that the government is basically running out of money. You have a president who's not focused on the economy. You have doom and gloom in terms of Nigeria's economic outlook. And then from this poll, you have 54% of people saying they think that's more or less okay. Is that a good thing? What are the implications? Well, I think when you present it like that, <laughs> maybe Nigeria does sound bad. Maybe I should go back home and see <laughs> what's going on. Um, I think I, I, that's that's a very good question. I think um, you know when you when you talk to people on the street, I think, and when you talk to people about their current situation and their views, it's typically it it's different than when you speak in Nigeria as a whole. So if I talk to you about um, your current economic situation, it may be difficult in the way you view. And I think a lot, of, a lot of what we see is an outcome of the 2015 election. I mean, it was, a pivotal, uh, it was a pivotal election in Nigeria in the fact that you had one party who had been in power for 16 years uh, is now out of power and a new party comes in, in. And I think neither one was ready for the current situation. APC wasn't ready to govern and PDP wasn't ready for the opposition. And I think you see that in the, 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 the stalemate that both the, the two parties are in. Um, right now, APC is, is stalled with leadership wrangling in the Senate. Um, they're also stalled because there's no money to kind of help run the party secretariat. So sometimes you, you go there and there's not even lights on. Um, I think for PDP, they don't know how to run a party that doesn't have access to government funds. So I think what the, the state of Nigeria right now is really a state of, you know, we had a SESO 2015 election, things happened, people weren't ready, and now, and now you have this. And I think, you know, if, if there's one thing that, you know, the one thing that we have tried to say to parties and really to elected officials in, in, in Nigeria, especially from the APC side, is that you can't be so one-dimensional that you miss out on the important issues. So yes, corruption is a very important issue that needs to be focused on, but the economy is also another important issue. And I remember uh, a few months ago when the Naira uh, on, the, on the parallel market was just devaluing but skyrocketing um, 
you know, it was almost close to 400 to the dollar. I asked someone, you know, what was going on? Why did, why does the government not do something about it? And the comment they made to me was that Bihari is trying to see uh, who is willing to come out to exchange money at this high rate so they can capture, you know, people in corruption. And I was thinking, well, if that's true, if that's true what you're saying, then what about all the people that this is hurting? You know, the cost of food now is more expensive. Exchanging dollars is more expensive because you're trying to buy tickets. You know, it becomes a bit more challenging. So I think, I think the the one of the the, the big hurdles that the president has to face is the economic situation in the country uh, and addressing it and not, you know, corruption is important, but also addressing the, the daily needs of, of people. So, Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, it's important to note that uh, the information we went over here, there's more. Um, there's questions about the elections. So you should check out our, check out our website because there's, there's a number of uh, additional slides. Um, and you know, maybe I can ask Bob to speak to this, but we, 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 we talked with a number of pollsters. We talked with people who work in this public opinion uh, research field, and some of our numbers add up. So I think uh, part of this is also to take away what's the narrative that the international media weaves. I mean, if uh, we, do our, we do our daily news clips here in Washington, and we look at what's going on, what's, at the, what's on the Reuters wire, you know, uh, uh, pipeline bombed, or, or you know, uh, Senate, Senate, Senate president fighting with the Attorney General. I mean, you know, these are the kinds of things we're hearing. But, uh, you know, th there is a sense of progress uh, and that, that things are moving forward. And, and people do feel that way. Um, of course, again, um, we have to note the regional breakdown. And that is key. So yes, if we drop you off in the middle of Port Harcourt, yes, you are going to get a different set of things than you would if you were somewhere in the north, uh, because it's just a different set of perception about safety, about direction, and things like that. So maybe Bob. Yes, let me let me comment. Um, in in terms of the geography of of Nigeria and and where there are hot spots or where there are are places that people might not be feeling as optimistic about the direction of the country as they do overall. If, if you look again at slide four, you'll see that in the south-south and in the southeast, majorities are saying the country is moving in the wrong direction. So there's some clear, clear places. Um, and overall in the south, uh, a near majority, 49%, are saying that the country is moving in the wrong direction. So you're, you're, you're seeing the the regional issues reflected in that particular um, breakdown. But again, overall, Nigerians are optimistic about the direction of the country. As, as Sintel suggested, they've been through two changes of leadership, um, unlike many other African countries, um, peaceful changes of leadership. Um, again, the, their personal economic situation has not quite gotten there yet. And that may be as reflective of, um, or, or partially reflective of, you know, their mood of the country. But overall, they're they're optimistic. They're they're excited about the way things are going. Um, democracy's improving again. Corruption is down. Um, safety in the community is is high. Um, but there are pockets, as you can see in in the regional breakdowns. And and we saw those regional breakdowns in many of the, the questions throughout the survey. The South-South and Southeast were, were really the outliers in many of these questions. Let me, let me give you this. Oh, okay. 
the Soros Foundation. And so this interests me, but I echo what uh, Bronwyn and others might say. I'm stunned by the positive uh, uh, outcome of, 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 the, of the research. And there are many aspects, but I, I will ask whether you noticed any difference in your data uh, if you had looked at what Afrobarometer had, had been doing, because they've been doing a lot of uh, uh, surveys, and I was wondering whether you noticed any difference. And, and you also mentioned, on the regional breakdown, you mentioned North-South. I would suggest that it is much more meaningful to look at the six geopolitical reason, regions because in Nigeria, south versus north, this old breakdown doesn't mean much. The southwest voted for Buhari. And so if you can comment on that, thank you. Certainly. And in, in terms of the regional breakdowns, we did look at the six regions. And on some questions, we even looked at the individual states. So, so we have all that data. Um, and, and some of that, in, in particular, the regional breakdowns are available on the IRI website in terms of, of the, the poll overall. Um, the, it's important to remember that we're, we were talking to average Nigerians in this survey. We weren't talking to opinion leaders. We weren't talking to, to people like you and I who spend our lives looking at these issues and studying these issues. Um, so, and it's, it's much the same as anywhere else in the world, and in particular in this country. If, if, if you talk to average Americans, you're going to get something completely different than you're going to get from if you did a survey in Washington, D.C., or if you did a survey on Capitol Hill. Um, so average Nigerians, are, they're optimistic. They're, they're excited about the way things are going in their country. Maybe they're not moving fast enough for you or I, but for the average Nigerian, who doesn't spend every day, all day, focused on the state of the country, the numbers, um, things are, are well. In terms of the Afro, Afro, Afro barometer, um, I haven't looked at that in terms of the Nigeria numbers. Um, but that's probably something that we, we do need to look at just for comparison. Um, I, I can say um, the uh, polling uh, organization that we use, NOI, NOI Polls, uh, they do daily polls, daily tracking on various issues, the president's uh, opinion uh, polls and so forth and so on. Um, and I know some, uh, some of these numbers may look surprising, but they do fall into line on what they track each and every day. Uh, which is one of the, the good reasons of using them is that our numbers kind of fell in line to what they were they were saying. And you can go on their websites and check. And so, like, you can look at the favorability of the president and you can look at other issues that are facing Nigeria. So on information that's taking every day, um, our numbers, uh, many of these numbers do fall in it. And like JT said, I think if you were to flush out some of these issues in a focus group, you know, you, you would get more information to explain why, you know, people were saying the things they were saying. So. Yeah, I mean, especially on the safety. Do you feel safe? What does safe mean? Does safe mean I'm in my, my village and I'm with my family? I feel safe here? Uh, and, and as Intel talked about, but if you say, how, how do you feel the safety of the country is, you know, or with regards to the Boko Haram or things like that? And we, we had quite a long discussion with the political parties on this because, again, they re completely rejected those. Uh, how can you say we're, we're safe? Um, so, uh, but as Bob said, you know, we 
randomly called people. This is what they told us. You know, there's no cook in the numbers here. Uh, we're not working for the Nigerian government to, uh, uh, you know, we're not on a promotional contract. So I, I think that's why I made the point that I think we need to do this poll again. I, need to be, I think we need to continue tracking these numbers. I think, and again, focus groups are where we really get down to some of this because if we're going to talk to political parties, if we're going to help parties with messaging and, and reaching out, for instance, in talking with the APC folks from the South, uh, they have so much work to do. They really need to reach out. They really need to deal with some of the problems. I mean, Lagos State was a disaster. Those numbers were, were, really, were really a problem, despite the fact that they have an APC governor. So there's some things that need to be done, and, and we'll be looking at that. And I think also, just last point, if you look at this state by state, as Bob said, you will see there will be some surprising numbers, but then there will also be a lot of numbers that fall right yeah, into like the Yeah, like Gombe was. Gombe, yeah. they're very happy people. You <laughs> yes. should check out there. I don't know why. Just 
Well, Sorry. no, no. <laughs> you know, again, in terms of in terms of the numbers, we're talking to average Nigerians. We're not talking to people that spend all day, every day, studying economic issues or political issues or. Well, I, uh, no, I don't think that they're, they're inappropriately optimistic. I think that you would find that anywhere in the world. People are, you, in America, people are concerned about getting their kids to school. They're getting concerned about paying the mortgage. They're concerned about all those kinds of things. They're not thinking about the stock market dropping 300 points on a daily basis or the, some pending economic doom, they're, they're trying to keep their lives together, their families together, their children educated, fed, etc. So the, again, we didn't get in the weeds on this because we, we were looking at a, a more global perspective and whether the average Nigerian or the average American or the average um, Australian knows about some impending doom or not, we, we could have asked that question, but I think we would have gotten an incredibly high don't know, because people aren't focused on that. They're focused on day-to-day -day maintenance and survival. And, and I think it also goes into, again, what our contribution is to, these, to the political discourse in the country. I mean, when we're talking with APC, they want to start having regular policy sort of conventions every two months they want to talk about issues they want to bring people together um, so part of this is educating people and and it's something that uh, it's a perennial struggle I mean everywhere we work in Africa we're always uh, dealing with the political parties in this way we have to get them uh, we work with them to, to do this type of education to outreach and uh, clearly it's an opportunity for PDP to if they could get their act together but that's the problem they're, they're struggling with their own internal issues, right? So, um, but if they could get their act together and they could message on some of these issues, they could begin seeing some gains in what they're doing, but also APC, if they could come together and put a good economic policy and sell it and educate people, we may be having a different discussion, but that's currently not the case. And I, I, also, I also would say that the average Nigerian uh, probably is not so focused on where the Naira is to the dollar. Uh, their focus is whether they can afford to buy tomatoes, which is a staple, or they can afford to buy rice. And I think that's where the average Nigerian sees um, where all this is playing out. They see it mostly in the market, not necessarily in the forest market, where I may be following or maybe my staff may be following. Um, and I think to go into J JT's point, um, you know, if you look deeper into our survey, we ask questions about whether you feel like your your elected leaders listen to you, whether you feel like the parties listen to you, whether they take your concerns into consideration. And really, there's a disconnect there where leaders are not really listening to the people and the people are not really speaking to the leaders. Um, and I think that's a place where the parties can actually work and grow. You know, if you hold a town hall, even if at the end of the town hall, no one said anything of value at least you have shown that you're willing to listen. Um, and I think that's, that's the, biggest, the, biggest, uh, the biggest issue. And, and to go back to uh, the story I used about the you know, Naira increasing in TN, I mean, it's just what I was told by someone I was listening to. But I do think sometimes that there are strategies being used that are not necessarily 
you know, as 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 uh, as uplifting, I guess, to the average Nigerian. But there really is a desire to kind of root out corruption at any means necessary, um, and you kind of see that sometimes in in some policies. So. I think um, if you look at some of the numbers, especially when we broke them down by state, um, there were certain states that were more optimistic and positive, and there were other states that were uh, a bit more negative and, and, and dreary, I guess. And, 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 and again, I don't want to speak to what people had in mind, as JT said, about what safety was and how they would describe it. Um, but I imagine if you lived in an area that a year ago you know, was not safe, how do you feel now, would kind of give you the answer that you were looking for. And then, you know, also now if you live in an area that was safe a year ago, that now, you know, you have issues with cattle herders or whatever is happening in your town, you may say something a bit different. But if you look at, if you're going to look at the survey, it, it does kind of break it, break it down uh, by uh, region and then also by state. But let me make one quick point. Um, I, to go back to just one statement that, that he made about the regions, I do think it's important that uh, you look at regions versus north and south because uh, there are some states in the middle belt that may give you a different story that doesn't really fit in the north or in the south. Um, and I think even when you look at the safety issue also, also kind of plays in that too. But we have all that information too where we've broken it down. So, uh, to, to your point, if, when you look at the, the regional breakdowns for the safety question, um, majorities across the country um, indicate very or fairly safe. But there are clear, clear differences. For instance, um, those that said very safe, 45% in the south-south, 42% in the southeast, 54 in the southwest, 68 in the northeast, 70 in the northwest, and 56 in the north-central. So you're getting some, some differences. But when you combine the very safe and the fairly safe, you, you see majorities across the country. When you look across the... the um, line at those that said not safe at all. South-South was 14, Southeast was 13, Southwest was 6, Northeast was 6, Northwest was 7, and North Central was 7. So in four of the six regions, single digits, not safe at all. And again, um, very and fairly safe, strong majorities, um, 60 eight plus, two thirds or more across the country. Yeah, but again, and, and I'm sorry, but again, we didn't define, we let the, the respondent define safe. Is it safe in my home? Is it safe in my community? The question was, how safe do you feel in your community? Do you feel very safe, fairly safe, not safe at all? Excuse me, not very safe or not safe at all. So in my community, I feel very safe. When I go outside my community, I'm more guarded, and that, I think that's true anywhere. And uh, again, uh, focus groups, we want, we've 
USAID funds us, so USAID uh, paid for this poll uh, as, as part of our funding with them and the Westminster Foundation, and, and we've talked to them about a desire to do more and look at these numbers. We've also talked to some partners who do work in the north and uh, are trying to find ways of digging a little deeper into some of this. Uh, but again, some of the things we've talked about here is, uh, kind of as Sintel put it, uh, last year or two years ago, it was really bad where I was. It might still be bad, but it wasn't as bad then. And of course, yes, we're hearing a lot of very uh, negative stories coming out about starvation and some of these really terrible stories. Um, but we called around these communities. And of course, we didn't capture IDPs. We may have captured some of them. We don't know, because um, this was quite a random survey. Uh, we actually we were getting those questions about persons with disabilities and, and other groups as well. So it's something we have to continue to dig into. Um, I'll leave some of these questions to Bob, um, but, uh, but I, I will um, uh, target kind of your first issue about issue-based campaigns. And I think the, the, the interesting outcome of 2015 was you did see, uh, to a very small extent, uh, issue-based campaigning. And I think, uh, you know, some credit has to be given to APC. They really use social media to a, to a very high level, and so they had these very crafty 
YouTube videos. Each time I wanted to watch a music video in Nigeria, I had to suffer through an APC uh, commercial about corruption or security or whatever. But it was uh, it was an issue that they were they were bringing to 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 Nigerians' viewpoint. So I think I think we saw that in in 2015. I think it's 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 work for us to build on it. Um, um, and 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 move forward with it, and we hope that the survey also helps us in that aspect. Um, but you did see some aspects of that uh, in the 2015 election. All the other technical questions you asked, I'll leave for my colleague. Hmm. I mean, the non-response. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, well, we didn't ask what kind of phone we reached them on, so so we don't know. We did ask the income question, though, as as shown in the demographics, um, and we did. Uh, a large number of the questions, we did look at the crosstabs on that income break to see if there were income differences. And there were on, on many of the questions, as you would expect, uh, the, the personal economic situation, the right direction, wrong direction, democracy, the, the democracy versus prosperity, as I mentioned. So that, that data is available. In terms of the response rate, I'm I don't like to criticize my colleagues, but I would be shocked if any organization anywhere in the world got a 100% response rate. What we say is that we attempted 13,400 13, calls, and of that, we got 79 completes. We, pro we could have gotten no answers, we could have gotten disconnects, we could have gotten, uh, I can't talk right now, I'm you know, driving or I'm having dinner or whatever. Um, so my question back to you would be, how is the response rate measured in those other polls? Well, they're, they're face to face. Yeah. Um, well, Also, the, the size of the questionnaire, we, we really struggled with that. Of course, you know, the longer the questionnaire, it's easier to sit someone down face to face and ask them a lot of questions. Um, but if you try to hold someone on the phone for 30 minutes uh, or something like that, it gets a little tough. So we really struggled with that because, because we, haven't, we hadn't done a poll in such a long time and it was one year on, we really had a lot of things we wanted to ask. And we went from a, quite a large questionnaire and just kept cutting it. But it was still too long, even in the pretest of the poll. We still struggled with that. So that, that may have also played a little bit of a role, is that it could have been probably shorter of a questioner. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure that played a big role in terms of the length of the, the, the questionnaire overall was 28 questions. Um, and the average um, interview time was 17 minutes. And when you're paying by the minute or you're having to buy a SIM card every couple days, that is going to affect your response rate, as opposed to face-to-face. -face. The reason that we didn't do face-to-face -face was um, two factors. One, time. Well, actually, three factors. Time, money, and security concerns. Um, let me get uh, this gentleman in the blue shirt. And John, I can't see you. Thank you. Uh, my name is Loretta Mwiji. I'm from Benin, the public. Uh, my question is, uh, how is Nigeria is a sub-region, and Nigeria drives most of the economy of that region. But from Benin, 
as a country from the south to the north of Nigeria. The economy is not doing well in Nigeria, so the whole economy of Benin is completely affected and goes across the board. How this outcome of the survey will be used and who, who will be the user of this type of resource to make policy change? So as JT said, we talk with parties. Uh, we, we, we wanted to release the information to parties initially before we started the process of going out to parties to work with parties. So um, I, I think, um, and JT can kind of correct me, I, I think there was uh, a positive reception. I think a lot of these numbers are familiar to them. When you look at unemployment, you look at these other issues. These, we did a poll in 2011. Unemployment was also the top issue there. So unemployment is still an important issue. But what, what, what is different about the 2011 poll that we did was that corruption was number two, and that poll now corruption is number three. So there has been a, a decrease uh, in corruption being a top issue. Um, I think for us, using the poll to, to I, I think the first step is this. Number one, Nigerian political parties don't really use polls and surveys to develop policies and, and, and come up with campaign messaging. So our first step is to educate them on how to read a poll, how to understand a poll, and then in, in some ways teach them how we came to the results that we came to. Number two is to now how to extract that data that's in this poll and how to turn it into messaging. How to like come up with a succinct plan as a political party on how you want to address these top issues. And then from there, you develop messages and then you, you go out. So we're looking at doing this in Edo, we're looking at doing this in Ondo, because these are two gubernatorial elections that are coming. Um, so it gives us a bit of time to kind of focus and sit down with the parties and address these issues. And then we have other elections coming in 2017 uh, that we can also sit down with the parties and, and also address. Yeah, I mean, this is a, a really good time. You know, it's the, the off-election time to go into that policy development realm. Uh, APC came together very quickly and 
they're realizing that they came together and they kind of put stuff together in terms of structures and process. And now they're trying to rip it and reshape it. And I think they're going through this process of looking at policy making and data collection. Um, PDP used to have a very good research institute that sort of ebbed and flowed. Uh, now it's kind of shut down. So w we need to re-engage uh, with them at a national level. And uh, but some of that needs to be sorted out amongst the parties. You know, we don't go in and say, get your act together, IRI's here, we want to work with you. Um, so that's why the, sort of the strategy right now is let's, let's go to Edo, where the, the state parties are really focused already. They have an immediate need for this information, and, uh, and that's kind of the approach. But the longer term view here is, is we need to work on this literacy issue with regards to the polls. It was also notable amongst the media, uh, the lack of literacy in understanding research and data and polling uh, and, and, and trends and, and that kind of information. Was, 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 it was quite daunting even explaining that at a press conference. So we need to do more of that as well. Um, so, yeah. Go ahead and I'll grab you next. Uh, okay. Does any of your studies uh, indicate a change in the uh, nature of the type of person who is running for public office these days? And is there any indication that there are Nigerians returning from the diaspora to um, run, become public servants? Yeah, so <laughs> very interesting. Uh, uh, we were doing an election in Oshun. Uh, just as uh, just after I arrived, and I met one of the candidates of the smaller party, uh, and when he discovered I'm from the U.S., he's like, "Oh, I live in Rochester, New York." I'm like, "Oh, but you're running for governor of Oshun," <laughs> and then he even gave me his business card. He's like, "Yeah, I run a business there. I'll be back there in a few weeks." So you do start to, you are starting to see a, lo a lot of uh, Nigerians come back to participate in the process. Um, but I will I will say this: the the Nigerian political process, like every other political process, is controlled by political elites, but every aspect of Nigerian political parties is controlled by political elites. So the, the ideal of the primary, you know, as we look at the American primary system that's going on right now, you have a series of states who vote, they have delegates, then delegates decide who they may vote for based on rules and regulations. Well, in Nigeria, not every member of the party votes. Um, there's usually only uh, about 3,000 delegates who will decide who the candidate is for uh, governor um, and even for president. And so what happens is that you allow candidates who are well funded, funded or endowed <laughs> based on cash uh, to control the process. So what they'll do is they'll pay for hotel rooms for delegates. They'll provide all these uh, uh, foods and all these other things for delegates. So now the delegates are attached to, to one person. And even uh, back, in 20, uh, back in 2015, there was a candidate running who was an actress. She had a big name. So you would assume even if she doesn't win, she would get votes because she's well known. You know, she got two votes. You know, running for a house, uh, house of I think she was running for a national assembly. Uh, she got only two votes because the, the the system is so skewed toward who the party leaders want to put in that place. So while you do see people coming back, the situation is very difficult, and that's something that we've been working on is trying to help parties kind of make the process more inclusive, involve more women, involve more youth, also involve uh, persons with disability uh, to be active in the process. And we've had. Nigerian politicians to call for direct primaries. Uh, 
but there's been a bit pushback. Some of them I understand. It's very costly, you know, and to have an election, another election, is very challenging in Nigeria because you typically come out and you spend all day in the sun, you know, to go out and vote. But the pushback is they can't control who will win or who will lose uh, the primary. And, and I would just talk about that not-too-young-to-run bill, oh, yeah. uh, which may shake things up a bit because uh, obviously the, the headline of the bill talks about lowering the ages of some of these seats. But the other one is the, well, some call it the, the poison pill, some like it, is that it, it allows for independence to run. And that could really shake things up because instead of working in this sort of party system that is dominated by self-interest and resources. If, if I don't need the party anymore, now what? So I think that's some of the discussion that's going on right now as they talk about that bill, which is being pushed very heavily by a lot of youth in the country. I'm Bob Hershey, I'm a consultant. Uh, you've mentioned the uh, decrease in uh, people saying there's corruption. I wonder if any of this is tied to having more transparency from a bit of increase in the internet and people having smartphones and maybe seeing what's going on. So people would be uh, more reticent to engage in corruption. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, you are starting to see a bit of social media play out, um, and that has a lot to do with uh, civil society organizations uh, who are holding the government accountable on various issues. Uh, the recent debacle of the budget, you know, was again the National Assembly. You know, that I mean, the president put out a budget, then civil society basically kind of took it to task, then it was taken back to the president to kind of rework things. So you are starting to see civil society organizations in Nigeria really call the government to task, which you would hope the opposition party would be the one calling them to task. Um, but yet it's the civil society organization that that is really holding um, the parties to task on this issue. Um, but you you also see it I think from the from the average Nigerian standpoint, it's not that they see, they it's not that the corruption. Huh, how do I put this? What they see is that the president is getting money back from foreign countries. That he is stopping uh, various parties from looting the system. So they are seeing what he's doing, and it's a positive thing to them. The fact that you know uh, allowances are not as big as they used to be, or you don't get a car, or those type of things that people were enjoying. So I think you are seeing it from a civil society standpoint, um, holding the government accountable. And as, as I think you see the people seeing the change. They may not feel it, per se, obviously, because the economic situation is difficult. But they're starting to see what the president is doing. And I think it plays into a lot of what is, is in the results of this survey. So. In, in terms of your question. That's, a, that's an excellent question for a focus group. Because we didn't follow up our question of thinking about corruption in Nigeria today. Would you say the level has increased, stayed the same, or, or declined? We didn't ask why you feel that way. Or we didn't ask them to define corruption. Are they talking about local? Are they talking about national? Are they talking about international? But, but all those things, as, as JT has suggested, are, are excellent topics to explore in a, in a focus group. Again, we, we, had, we were very limited in the number of questions. And 28 questions is not a lot when four of them are demographic and four of them are IRI standard questions. And um, 
so we're down to eight, nine, eight or nine, 18 or 19 questions to cover a wide range of, of issues. Um, and I often have said the difference between a survey and a focus group is a focus group you can ask why. And why do they feel corruption has declined? Um, where is corruption declined? Um, give me some examples. Are all excellent focus group questions? And that dialogue would be very rich with, with data um, as to why people feel that way. Yeah, and I think if you look at the state break, breakdown, especially on the issue of corruption, uh, it's some very interesting results in the fact that, again, the states in the north, you know, are very positive uh, toward the decrease of uh, corruption. While if you look at the south, you know, there are states in the south that, are, that have the opposite view that corruption has actually increased. Um, you know, you look at Biosa and they feel that corruption has increased. So it would be nice to ask those same individuals, why in Biosa do you think corruption has increased, you know, especially when the last president was a native son uh, to the state. So it would be nice to be able to get all that information out. Well, and, and since you brought it up, let me, let me share that information. Uh, to the question about thinking about corruption, in the South-South, it's evenly split, 38 increase, 36 decrease. Um, southeast, 50% increase, 27 decrease. So a majority believe that it's increased. In the Southwest, 30% increase, 44 decrease. And then in the three regions of the North, Northeast, 71, Northwest, 68, and North Central, 60, all saying decreased. So there are clear regional differences. Um, again, South-South is evenly split. A major majority, albeit bare majority, 50% in Southeast say it's increased. And um, by a margin of 30 to 44, decreased in Southwest. So there, there are differences. There's also some significant differences by, um, by uh, well, income. Uh, those unable to meet basic needs, 51 decrease. Able to meet basic needs, 53 decrease versus able to purchase most non-essential goods, 65 decrease. Plenty of disposable money, 71 decrease. So some significant differences by income as well. Um, and, and even, if I may go on, by gender um, and age, 59% of men believe that it's decreased, 46% of women. Uh, in terms of increase, 23 men, 31 women. So there's differences there. Um, not significant differences by age. 53 among 18 to 35 decrease, 51, 36 to 60, and 56, 60 plus. So majorities of all age groups. Um, but the differences are by gender and region and income. Uh, survey data available to others. And 
anybody else have a burning question that they'd like to throw on before we get ready to close? This is your chance. Yeah, and then um, you too. My name is Jared Thompson with the Center for International Policy. And so I'm kind of curious, you spoke about engaging with political parties in Nigeria and the regional differences that you found in polling data. And so I'm curious whether you're engaging or working to engage with national party infrastructures to kind of craft a national consistent message in response to the polling data, or working with uh, regional party infrastructures and then having a national message, excuse me, kind of filter up from there. And me, you've opened and closed our question here. Well, actually, what I have uh, sort of a, a couple of uh, uh, suggestions. One is um, corruption. You know, there is grand corruption. I mean, theft by people with millions of, of naira and dollars. And then there is the policeman on the road. If you are traveling to Benin, who will demand money before he lets you pass? I've always thought the two, you know, have, uh, are pretty different. So you might want to look into those and see. And, and on the focus group, I think it's a great idea, but I also think uh, Nigerian civil society, actually, if you want to know where the bodies are buried, don't ask your position, ask the civil society. They have all the information, so I will really include them and, and um, mine their, their information. I think they are a wonderful resource. Uh, on on the issue of the of the data, I think we can talk and see what what you're interested in. Um, we don't typically re release the raw data, but uh, you know I think we can t discuss and see uh, what we can do there. I think in terms of the political parties, um, you know, as I mentioned, we're we're uh, people talk about APC and PDP and Labor and some of these other smaller parties. Uh, they are woefully under-resourced. They struggle with their internal structures, internal democracy, um, often linked to whoever the governor is and whoever, right? So, um, I mean, I remember PDP set up shop right in Port Harcourt right after the election uh, because, you know, there were some linkages there. So I think for, for us, we, we're going to continue with this dual track, um, look at some of the by-elections coming up and engage those state-level structures. Uh, on messaging and putting out some good ideas. But then, as a longer-term project, a continuation, really, of the work we've been doing is, is again, to feed this data in and, and use it as an opportunity to reapproach parties to discuss platform development, issue development, coming up with policies, um, connecting them more closely with their elected legislators, uh, which often is a big problem in Nigeria as well. So seeing how we can do some of that, that, that that'll be a priority. And then maybe, uh, I don't know, yeah. there's more. And, and we, we, we do both. I mean, we work mostly at the national level because everything in Nigeria is centralized uh, out of Abuja. But we also spend quite a bit of time working at the state level too, uh, building capacity and also uh, because the campaigns are typically run at the state level. Um, and so we ensure that we're there to kind of help build capacity. So we work at, at all regions. And Nigeria is a very hierarchical hierarchical society. So the parties have levels, you know, they have a national level, they have a zonal level, they have a state level, they have a LGA level, they have a ward level. I mean, they have it all the way down. So we try our best to work at all levels to ensure that they're all built, have the capacity to work. And 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 Nee, thank you. We, we definitely need to look for some bodies. Uh, so we're going to engage civil society. Um, uh, so I, I mean, clearly civil society is a key actor in this. and. Uh, we need to work with them, um, you know, as we 
continue to look at ways also of engaging in areas like in the north. Um, we're increasingly looking at some programming up there. We're, we're, we're engaging uh, on the civil society side. And, and Nigeria has a very vibrant uh, civil society organization, sometimes too vibrant, because uh, some of them become connected to one party or the other. Uh, but you're right, they're very vibrant, and we've worked very much, even as JT was saying, with this not too young to run bill and very others. Uh, provisions. We've uh, had some good friends in the civil society world. So, any last words? Thank you. Yeah, thank you for coming. Thank you.